Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, thank you. It feels so nice to be welcomed back. Uh, well, hey, if you're new, uh, so glad that you're worshiping with us today. As Pastor Kenny mentioned, uh, please do stop by. We're going to be out there in the back foyer area. Please come and meet us. I would love to hear your story about how God has brought you to this church or even to the state of Washington and what God is doing in your life. So if you're new, uh, please do come out there and, and just introduce yourself. We don't know who you are, um, but please do um, do that. Uh, if you're a youth student here, welcome as well. This is your service. As I say, just as much as your parent service, every single week I say this. Uh, right after service, we do not have small groups today. Go and enjoy the New Year celebration with your families and um, just don't video game too much, all right? Go spend time with your, your siblings and with your parents and, and do all of those things. Um, you know, if you are here today and if you're alive and if you're breathing, can we just celebrate that? That God has purpose for you this year. That if you're still alive, that means that God's not done with you yet. Can we just celebrate that? Can we make a joyful noise to the Lord? Yeah, that you're alive, that you're breathing. 2023. At the beginning of 2020, I, I really thought I wouldn't see 2023 at the beginning of 2020, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, during COVID, I just thought, man, we'd never see this day come. But here we are in 2023. You know, today we're starting a new sermon series called The Greatest Sermon Series Ever. Now, I know, okay, it's not boasting, it's not bragging. The reason why we've called it such is because it's based on the greatest sermon ever preached on planet Earth. It's based on Matthew chapters 5 to 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a sermon that Jesus preaches uh, at the very beginning and it's and it's a very very um, expansive sermon that touches upon all sorts of things and it's probably one of the most studied one of the most cherished one of the most written and preached on sermons in all of humanity and the reason why we're going through this at the beginning of this year and we'll be going through this for the next 10 or so weeks is because of this our our, our theme for this year of 2023 as a church as a community is this it'll be up here on the screens for you it's greater faith greater faith do we have that up up there jay no okay what's greater faith let me tell you I just felt like as, as I was praying, as I was meditating, I just felt God pressing this in on me. Greater faith, greater faith, greater faith. We need greater faith as a community. And can I ask you, do you want greater faith this year? Do you want greater faith? Or do you want greater income? Or greater status? Or do you want greater children? Or do you want greater uh, homes or greater other things? Or do you want greater faith in your life? Do you want Jesus to be so real and tangible that although we worship an invisible God, that his presence in your life is so real, so radically real that it actually transforms who you are. Do you want this kind of faith this year? And I felt as I was praying, I felt like God was saying, I, I not only want to challenge you to have greater faith, but I also want to give you as the author and perfecter of your faith, I want to give you more faith this year. And I believe through the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to teach us how to get more faith. Uh, the whole sermon, in my opinion, is all about challenging you towards greater faith. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be studying just the first two verses of the sermon. And then we're going to be studying the last four verses of the sermon. So we're going to study the beginning and the end and see the purpose by which God gave the sermon to us. So if you're able to, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? Uh, or you can look here on the screens. And if you're able to, would you rise as we read God's word together? All right, I'm just going to read the first two verses, and then we'll skip down to chapter 7, verses 24 to 28, and then we'll read the last uh, four or five verses there of the sermon, all right? This is the, uh, I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, uh, I'll pray for us, and then I'll seat you after the reading, all right? This is the reading of God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain 
And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and there goes the sermon, all right? And then we'll, let's skip down to 7, 24 to 28 now. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, so he just gave this whole sermon, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us and I'll seat you afterwards. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sermon. God, we thank you for this new year. God, we pray that in each and every single one of us, Lord, that you would give us greater faith, Lord. Of course, Lord, we do pray for physical blessings. We do pray for all of those things, Lord. But more importantly, Lord, we pray for your spiritual blessings this year. God, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, if you're taking notes, you can write these three points down. We have three points. The first point is easy and hard. The second point is light and dark. And then our final point is trust and obey. All right? Easy and hard, light and dark, and trust and obey. I want to start off with one truth this morning, all right? And it's a truth that you probably already know, and it's very evident. Humans love easy, not hard. Right? We love easy things, not hard things. This is why if you look at weight loss uh, fitness programs, right, they don't start off by saying, hey, do you want to lose weight? Well, here's the hardest program you will ever receive in your life, a one-year grueling long process where you will suffer every single day of your life. Do you want to join? Come on, right? Never. Instead, you'll get these ads that say, do you want to lose weight? Do you want to get fit? Well, here's an easy way for you to do it. You don't have to give up any of the foods you love. Come and join us on this journey as we lose weight together because it is so easy. In fact, as, as humans, we, we actually move towards easy things, not hard things. If, if there's gravity, for example, in our lives, right, the, the gravity pulls us towards easy things and not difficult things, which is why New Year's resolutions are so hard for us to commit to and to actually live out for the entire year. Because oftentimes, New Year's resolutions are hard to complete. As I mentioned today, right, there's a sermon that Jesus gives and this is called the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the key uh, identifying factors, this is the single thing that you need to know about the Sermon on the Mount is this. It'll be up here on the screens for you. It's hard teaching. It's not hard to understand. It's actually quite easy to understand. But it's difficult. It's very difficult to accomplish. It's difficult to do. You have to understand in the Gospel of Matthew, this comes as one of Jesus' first sermons. Like he's born, he's uh, baptized, he goes to the wilderness, right? And then he starts his ministry, he starts healing people. And then the first sermon he gives is this one. So you got to think about it, right? It's like, imagine if you go on a first date, right? And you meet this guy, you meet this girl, and the girl or the guy says like, I love you and I want to marry you today. Do you want to marry me? Hmm? Right? Imagine if a girl guy came out that strong. This is Jesus. Jesus is coming out strong. He's like, hey, if you want to follow me, this is what it takes. And it's a hard, hard teaching. And to, and to most of us, when we read this, we're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, slow down. Hey, man, I, you know, let's just let's take it easy. Like, well, why does it got to be so hard? But I want you to review and preview some of the teachings that we're going to learn throughout this year, okay? Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He, he's saying you're not going to go to heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Hard teaching. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, 22. And whoever says you fool 
will be liable to the hell of fire. He's saying, if you ever called anybody a fool, you'll be liable to that kind of judgment. Whoa, what are you talking about, Jesus? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, he says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. What? Cut off my hand and throw it away? And I'll tell you this, in church history, we've actually seen a few saints of old who have cut off their body parts to obey Jesus. I'm not even kidding. This is true. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Matthew chapter 5, 44 says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can't even love people who annoy me. My enemies? My goodness, pray for them? I don't even pray. <laughs> you cannot serve God and money, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And I say, oh yeah, I can. I can serve God and money. I do it all the time, Jesus. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These are incredibly hard teachings. And what commentators, theologians, and pastors, and this is, I'll tell you why so much has been written about the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And it's here. It's this question that every single one of us has. Is Jesus serious or is he using hyperbole? In other words, is he exaggerating or is he being serious? Like, are you real? Like, are you being real here, Jesus? Do you want us to actually do these things? Or are you using exaggeration? Now, in order for us to answer this question, because I will answer this question in just a moment, I want to tell you a little bit about this sermon and, and kind of set you in the right trajectory of why Jesus gives us these commandments, okay? And it'll take a little bit of time, but just stick with me because I think we, we have some payoff here, okay? The sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount because if you look at uh, verses 1 and 2, there it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, uh, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he goes up on this mountain, and then he teaches his disciples. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. But does this remind you of some Old Testament story? Right, do you remember in the Nehemiah series, I said MCU, right, references to other movies, right? This is referencing other parts of scripture. So do you, can you jog your memory a little bit about maybe where this is coming from or what he's alluding to? Or when was a prophet taken up to a mountain, given commands, and then given the people the commands that he received from the mountain? And it's Moses. That's right, it's Moses. He's acting as a new Moses. If you remember, right, in the book of Exodus, right, God through Moses accomplishes a few things, okay? First of all, through Moses, he saves the Israelites from bondage and slavery. Secondly, he baptizes them. If you remember, they walk through the Red Sea, which was water, and through that Red Sea, they exit the, the death and slavery and bondage that they had been in, and they enter into this new life, and they're supposed to go and acquire now the promised land. And yet, of course, they wander in the desert for 40 years. But in that desert wilderness, he forms them into a, uh, into a new community. Moses forms them and God forms them into his new community. And God is their king. God was never intending that there would be a human king named Saul or David or any of these folks lead the Israelites. God always wanted himself to be their king. And then lastly, he gives them commandments. Now, this is important for us to remember because look at this, right? God doesn't give them the commandments first and say, hey, obey me and then I'll rescue you. Obey me and then I'll make you a community. Obey me and then I'll give you my grace. He gives them his grace first and then he says, now come and follow me. Now here are my commands and here's what I want from you. The design of the commandments in the Old and New Testament was never to save you, but here are the purposes of the commands, okay? I want you to look here on the screen. The purpose of the commandments was to show the values of the kingdom of God and to create a culture that is distinct to the world. Look, every company, every, uh, uh, you know, country, 
has values and culture, does it not? Right? Every company has values and those values produce a kind of culture. There are behaviors, in other words, that your companies value, right? So for example, some of you work for Amazon and Amazon values customer obsession. I think I've heard this over and over again, right? Customer obsession rather than competitive, competitor focus. And so they reward those behaviors of those workers who are so uh, uh, focused and obsessed about their customer base, right? Well, in East Asian culture, right, uh, um, you know, for example, uh, in, for me, I'm Korean-American. So in Korean-American culture, more particular, right, a part of our culture is that we honor those who are older than us, our elders, right? And so if you want to teach this culture to your kids, what do you do? You, you value certain behaviors. You tell them, okay, when you meet an older person, you bow down and you say, haseyo, right? Uh, they don't understand yet. They don't understand what the heck they're doing, but you, you make them do these behaviors and you value those behaviors because you're trying to teach them a greater culture, a greater value of respecting your elders. And in the same way, Jesus is doing the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches you these radical commandments because in essence, he's trying to teach you kingdom culture. See, Jesus Christ saves us as the Messiah, just as Moses saved the people. He baptizes us, right? In the beginning of his ministry, he gets baptized by John the Baptist to show us that all of us should be baptized. And then thirdly, he forms us into a new community. He, he, he calls the first 12 disciples who are now the 12 tribes of Israel, the new 12 tribes. He calls the first 12 disciples and then he gives us this commandment, this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's trying to create a kingdom culture based on the values that God has and he does it through his commandments through the valued behaviors that he wants us to have and so this leads us back to this question is Jesus being serious or is Jesus exaggerating and here's my answer the answer is yes Jesus is being absolutely serious about his commands let me try to summarize and put everything I'm saying back together God's kingdom culture one of the one of the uh, uh, hallmarks of God's kingdom culture is this it's radical it's radical. It's not lukewarm. It's not timid. It's not, well, it's radical. It's hot. It's cold. It's nothing in between. It's so radical. And through his commandments, he's saying, look, this command is radical because I'm radical. Like you can't live like the rest of the world lives. Like I know you want to do that. I know you want to have the things the world has, do the things the world does, be like that. But if you want to shine like light, which is radical, by the way, when it's dark, right, it's very radically different than darkness. If you want to be light shining in the world, you have to be different. You got to be so different. And this is why I believe Jesus is being absolutely serious about his commandments. Look what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He's a, a pastor theologian who lived during World War II in Nazi Germany. He was a German theologian and he was one of the few pastors and theologians who stood up to Adolf Hitler. All the other churches compromised. They were like, oh yeah, Adolf, we'll go with you, brother. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few courageous men who said, no ways. That is, that is unchristlike. That is from the devil itself and I'm going to stand and resist you, Adolf Hitler. And guess what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He died for his faith. He died. He was martyred. And look at what he says in his book, Cost of Discipleship. He says, humanly speaking, we could understand and interpret the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount in a thousand different ways. In other words, people love talking about the Sermon on the Mount. They love talking about it. They love discussing it because it's so hard. It's so difficult, right? But he says, Jesus knows only one possibility, simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting it or applying it, but doing and obeying it. That is the only way to hear his word. But again, he does not mean that, is not, that it is uh, to be discussed as an ideal. He really means us to get on with it.
I don't know if you remember when you're single or maybe you are single in here, like when you like the girl or when you like the guy, like, you know, before you ask that girl or guy out, right, you just talk about it a lot. You're like, oh, maybe she likes me. Maybe she doesn't like me. Well, she did this. She didn't do this. But, you know, he did this. He didn't do that. You talk about it with your friends. You talk about it there. You talk about it that, right? But the last thing you're doing is you actually ask them out. And this is what kind of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying. Like, we talk about the Sermon on the Mount so much because we're like, oh, should we do it? Should we not do it? Should we do it? And he's like, hey, brother, the point of the sermon is to do it. Stop talking about it. Get on with it. Do it. Look, after the whole sermon is concluded, look at what he says in verse 24 of chapter 7. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, okay, you guys are going to hear these words, okay, and does them, performs them, lives them, does them, will be like a wise man. Not somebody who just hears them and studies them and interprets them and like, oh, fascinating stuff. No, somebody who hears them and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Ultimately, the wise person is the one who hears and does the sermon. The primary purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to create a kingdom culture, but the way this culture arises is when we actually perform the kingdom uh, cultural values that he has for us in the Sermon on the Mount. This leads us to our second point, light and dark. Uh, R.T. France, he's a biblical scholar, and I've been using his commentary to really study the sermon. But listen to what he says about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a challenging discourse which has left Jesus' hearers with a simple but demanding choice. To hear, so in other words, you have a choice today. You, you, you and I, me, here, you, everyone in this room has a choice here today. To hear and ignore, or to hear and to put into practice. There's nothing in between. You can hear and do, or you can hear and ignore this. Let me ask you, will you ignore the greatest sermon that Jesus has ever produced in his lifetime? Will you ignore it, or will you actually do it? Look, here's the reason why Jesus says the Sermon on the Mount matters so much, and why it's like building your house on rock. Jesus is trying to give you life. He's trying to bring light and life into the world through your obedience. And if you do not put it into practice, here's what's going to happen. Do you know why the church counts for so little today? Do you know why people look at the church and say, like, that, that's your God? Jesus is your God? Well, what does he do? Like, he's gracious, he's kind, but you guys are so mean and nasty. You guys are so hateful, so bitter. This is why the world points a finger at us and we're so powerless in our culture, in our world. Because we're not living the sermon. We ignore it all the time. Me too. I'm throwing myself in here too. And Jesus says, you and I are fools when we hear the sermon and we ignore it. He's calling us to live radically for him. Look, I want to say this, right? Jesus is not some wise guru. Okay, he's not like a Steve Jobs figure. He's not like a, um, you know, like a, uh, you know, Whoever's wise, okay, Oprah Winfrey, he's not these kinds of people, okay. Uh, he's not some guy who gives good advice. Jesus is God and king of the universe and he made the universe by speaking it into existence. Do you realize this? His words, he spoke the universe into existence. Jay Song, who's sitting back there, our college ministry director, he always, he always jokes with me. He's like, Pastor Eric, speak it into existence, bro. Speak it into existence, right? And I guess he's like making fun of some like self-helpy kind of thing where people say speak things into existence into your life and it'll form, right? But you realize Jesus literally spoke the universe into existence. Let me give you some perspective on this, okay? A bullet travels at around 2,600 feet per second. Did you know this? 
that is not the fastest thing humanity has ever created. The fastest thing humanity has ever created is something called the Parker Solar Probe. Okay, this is according to the Guinness Book of World Records, by the way. It went up to 535,777 uh, feet per second. That's fast. Man, we built some crazy things as humans, okay? The closest galaxy, okay, to our galaxy is 25 trillion miles away. That's the closest, okay? You know how long it would take to get from our, our galaxy to that galaxy? It would take us 7,826 years to reach the next galaxy at that speed that I just mentioned, uh, which is 534,777 feet per second. It would take us 7,800 years to get there. Let me put that into perspective. If we left when Jesus Christ was born, we'd only be 25% of the way there. That's how vast our universe is. And guess, think about this, okay? Do you know how many galaxies there are in the universe? Scientists say there's up, upwards of 100 to 200 billion galaxies, not planets, galaxies. They say there are up to maybe, if they had to guess, right, there could be up to 2 trillion galaxies. This is the closest galaxy, okay? Jesus spoke this galaxy, these universes into existence. Isn't that crazy? And you know what's crazy is I started, you know, last year I read through the Bible. This year I'm going to do it again. I was debating whether I should read through the whole Bible again for my quiet times because it was tough, but I, I wanted to do it again. And so this morning I was reading Genesis 1. You know what's crazy? God speaks into existence where he speaks. In fact, let me just read for you, okay, a little segment that I had highlighted here, okay. Um, okay. Look, 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 this is Genesis 1 verse 11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, uh, 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 plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Do you see what's happening here? God speaks and creation obeys. God speaks, he says, let there be light, and there's light. It obeys him. You know what the only thing on planet earth that does not obey God? It's the human heart. The only thing on planet earth that doesn't obey God is the human heart. The human heart is so stubborn that God is trying to speak life and existence into our souls. He's trying to speak light and life into us by saying, look, if you obey my commands, you're going to receive light and life. Like this is what happens when things obey me, there, there is light and life that's produced. But you are the only ones in all of existence. We are the only things that have such stubborn hearts that we say, no, thank you, God. I don't want your light. I don't want your life. This is why he says, you're fools if you don't build it upon my words. Do you understand that everyone in the world is walking in darkness and death and everyone thinks they have the solution? Right, people think this is the solution. If we just, man, if we just had a lot of psychology and psychiatry and, man, we just dealt with the human mind, everything would be good. And don't get me wrong, psychiatry is great. I believe in therapy. I believe in counseling. I believe in all those things. But that is not the solution to the darkness. You know how I know? It's because we know more about the human mind today. We know more about psychology and there are still wars and, and, and there are still genocides and there are still crazy evils happening. People walk into schools and they shoot up schools with little children in them. That is not psychiatry. That is evil. There's real darkness and evil in this world. Some people believe it's politics that will save us. But I mean, come on, we all know already. Politics, getting the right king, the right president, the right senator, the right uh, congressperson, it, it's not going to save us. Some people believe it's systems and structures of the world. And don't get me wrong, I believe that there are evil systems and structures that do oppress people. And yet, I'm telling you, even if we develop the best systems and structures that we could ever produce, those systems and structures would then oppress us again. 
because we would need systems and structures to keep those systems and structures in place and those systems and structures would oppress us as well because guess what the people who design those systems and structures are evil that's us humans some people believe it's economics if we just let the rich and the poor uh, all even out and there's equal opportunity and equal things happening right and, and don't get me wrong i believe in, in in wealth equality i believe in trying to to, to move an opportunity in those ways but I can tell you this, even if we distributed everything equally, right, we, we took all the money from the rich, we gave it all to the poor, and we equaled out everything, I bet you within our lifetimes, it would go right back to, to what it was. There would be rich people and there would be poor people within a span of 25 years. It would happen. You know why? It's not because of these things. It's not these things outside of ourselves. It's because we are dark. We are darkness. There's darkness that lives within us. This is why we've never seen in the history of the world, we've never seen a utopian society. We've never seen a perfect society where people have treated each other with kindness and love and grace and mercy and humility. We've never seen this emerge. Why? Because we are dark. And Jesus is saying, if you want to purge that darkness, of course, I've come and I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've created you into a new community. But now you've got to obey my words. I'm speaking life. I'm trying to create life in you. I'm trying to create life. Look no further than the history of our world. Let me summarize history. I've been studying a lot of history because of the Bible. Like the Bible goes throughout all, a lot of time. And I'll, let me summarize history for you. Violence, blood, power, lust, selfishness. That's world history for you. The only reason why I think in modern history we've gotten a little bit better is actually because Christianity kind of became a big deal. And we started taking Christian values and started plugging them into our, 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 our societies. Like human rights. That's a Christian value. That's a Christian ideal. Jesus says this, I'm going to save you. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to form you into a new community and I'm going to give you a new way to be human, a new commandment. And if you live the way I tell you to live, you're going to walk in light. You're going to walk as, as salt of the earth. But if you ignore me, then you're going to walk in darkness and death just like the rest of the world. This leads us to our third and final point, trust and obey. And now we come to the crux of the matter. We said in the intro that Jesus wants to build our faith. And so let's go back to our passage here. Look at what he says again in verse 24 and then in verse 26. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Let me ask you this. Do you want to come out, of, out from the darkness and do you want the light? Do you want joy, hope, peace, freedom, goodness, love? Do you want these things, friends? Do you want to stop living in darkness? Then obey the words of Jesus. Do the words of Jesus. Stop ignoring them. Look, friends, we don't have to wait for heaven to come. We don't have to wait till the day you die to get to heaven. Heaven can come here now. And it will come primarily through our obedience. When we start forgiving and loving and sharing the way God has asked us to share. When we start dying to ourselves. And Jesus, through the Sermon on the Mount, in essence, asks us this. Do you have faith? Do you trust me, though? Because here's what's very evident, right? The way the world lives, the way our culture lives, says this, right? Look, uh, uh, look, it looks like they're having so much fun. It looks like this is the wise way to live, like the way the world lives. It looks like it's great to get promotions. It looks great to get money. It looks great to get sex, fame, power, and to be selfish, right? It looks good. It looks wise to live that way. And yet the way of Jesus Christ looks foolish. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that, right? The way of Christ looks foolish, but the way of the world looks wise. But Jesus says, no, actually, the foolish, things, the foolish things are actually wise, and the wise things are actually foolish, he says. And this is why it's hard to live out the, the commands. Because when Jesus tells us these things, we're like, really? 
Are you sure that's going to produce joy? Like, like, wait, so wait, you're saying that the world tells me if I want joy, I got to get more things. I got to acquire more things. I got to get more power, more money, more fame, more success. But Jesus, you tell me to give it all away and then I'm going to have joy? That seems foolish, Jesus. And Jesus says, I know, I know, I know. But just trust me. Can you trust me for a moment? And just live the way I've told you to live. I'm telling you, I, please, prom I promise you, trust me for a moment. Just live the way I've told you to live and watch the promises come. The world says have sex with whoever and whatever you want to do with your body. Just do it. It's free. It doesn't matter what you do with your body, sexually speaking. Just go and do it. And that's how you have joy. And the scriptures tell us, no, it's in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And you're like, really, Jesus? Are you sure? Because it looks like the world is sure having a lot of fun with that. And Jesus is like, I know, I know. It looks foolish. But just trust me. Just trust me on this. The world says, eat, drink, and be merry. Find all the pleasures this life can afford uh, and do it. And Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, don't worship anything else but me. And you're like, really? Are you sure? Because worship sometimes is boring, Jesus. Like, I don't know. And he's saying, trust me. Jesus invites you and I to have faith and to trust him. You know, my oldest son, Josiah, hates new foods. Anything. Like, it could be the most delicious thing on planet Earth, and yet he just won't, will not try anything new. And so I remember one time I was trying to give him this, uh, this cookie, but it looked funny. It didn't look like a real cookie, like the ones that he normally would typically think of. And so I said, Josiah, this cookie is really delicious. Daddy loves it. And I started eating it for him. I started showing him, mmm, delicious. Look how good it is, right? And he just made that face, right, that all kids made. He's like, ah, no, no, he doesn't want it, right? And so I tried to like, like literally I tried to like shove it in his mouth, but he like, per, you know, made his lips shut down and he closed his eyes and he wouldn't let me put the cookie in his mouth. And I was like, Josiah, I promise you, you trust daddy. This cookie is so delicious. I'm telling you, you're not living life until you've eaten this cookie, Josiah. So soon enough, he kind of opened his mouth a little bit. He let me in. He took a little bite of the cookie. And as he ate the cookie, he was like, hmm, that he wanted more of it. And he wanted more. He wanted more. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's saying, do you trust me, church? I know my commands don't make sense. I know it looks like foolishness. I know it does. I know. I know what I'm asking you to do. But do you trust me? See, trust is something that has to be built over time, friends. You know, a, a lot of you, I, pro I probably know, if you've been a part of our, the life of our church, you probably already know this. Pastor Kenny, who's our executive pastor, who is also up here um, presiding over our services, He's one of my closest friends, um, but he's also uh, our executive pastor and somebody that I work with. And um, we, I, I, you know, just this past week, I was just telling him again how grateful I am uh, to be working with him. And that he's my friend, but also we're co-workers. And so many of you have seen this and, 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 and maybe have been a little bit envious of it, uh, you know, because we, we have such a great relationship. And I can tell you this, it wasn't built overnight, right? There were definitely hard conversations that we've had about building trust with each other. And yet over time, what's essentially happened is this. We've trusted each other. I've trusted Pastor Kenny. I've given him a little things to do. And it's not just that he accomplishes those little things, but he exceeds every expectation. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's really good. Like, wow. And then we trust him a little bit more. And wow, oh my goodness, it's so good. And I'm realizing how good he is. And I hope the same things happen in return with me to him. But, but at least from my experience, this is what he's done. He's proven to be faithful. And in the same way, have you given yourself over to Jesus in obedience? And say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. I know it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you with my obedience and allowing Jesus to show you how good he is. For him to show you that, man, like I didn't just die for you on a cross, but I'm going to show you that my way is the best way to live. 
It has life-giving. It's going to bring light and life into the world. And please, I'm begging you, trust me, Jesus says. Over this sermon series, we'll travel through the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be challenged to trust Jesus. You'll be challenged to trust him through obedience. And I'm asking you, look, as a pastor of this church, I'm shepherding you. Let's try to all commit to this together as a community. It's going to be so much better when we do it together. If we're all alone on an island trying to obey it by ourselves, it's going to be hard. You're going to be like, man, this sucks, dude. Like, I can't do this all alone. And you're right. You can't do it all alone. This is why Jesus gives it to his disciples, not just to a disciple. He gives it to a community of people. Let's pursue Jesus in 2023. Don't ignore Jesus. Don't ignore the Sermon on the Mount. Don't build your life on sand. Build it on the rock. Jesus loves you. He redeemed you. He spilled his blood for you. He broke his body for you. He is a trustworthy God. He became flesh so that he could build trust with you. So that he could say, look, I'm not just telling you to do these things. I'll do them myself too. Jesus Christ is the greatest shepherd of all. And friends, he invites you into this kingdom to live and to love and to bring the light of his life, of, of his life into our world. Look, here's, here's a few things that I just want to kick, kick off our new year with, okay. There's one command from the Sermon on the Mount that I want to accentuate at the very beginning of the sermon series. And we'll talk about it once we get to the passage. But it's this. It's prayer. I want to encourage us to pray this year. Jesus is going to teach us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount by teaching us the Lord's Prayer. But I want to commend it to us right now. This is one way that you can start building your faith in Christ is by praying to him. Because I know it looks like foolishness, doesn't it? Man, this is a waste of time. i got to pray to this invisible God. I don't even know if he's hearing me. But i got to like take 30 minutes out of my time where I could be working for 30 minutes and getting more things accomplished. But i got to pray for 30 minutes. Yes, I know it looks foolish. But trust me, pray and ask and seek me. Friends, I want to encourage you to prayer. Look, if I can challenge you with this one thing, all right, church? Come out to our prayer services on Saturday mornings, okay? And I'm going to make it more tangible for you, okay? If you could come out to just one-third of the prayer services between now and Easter Sunday, I would greatly appreciate that. And I'm just challenging you to that. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m., we have a prayer service here every Saturday. And I want you to commit to not coming out to 100% of them, but just one-third of them, 33.333% of them, okay, from now till Easter, okay? Not even the whole year, just till Easter, okay? That comes out to either three or four Saturdays. That's it. Three to four Saturdays. I think it's doable, right? I'm not guilting you. I'm not shaming you, okay? If you don't end up not doing it, that's fine. That's okay. No one's going to judge you, okay? No, no hard feelings. But I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you at the beginning of this year. Can we just take three or four Saturdays? between now and Easter to just come out to three or four prayer services, pray for the church, to pray for each other, to pray for our community groups, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our non-believers, to pray for Alpha, this course that's going to be geared towards non-believers. Let's pray, church. I want to challenge you to that. Let's have faith that God can accomplish great things through your prayers. That's one small request. Even for those of you tuning online, I want to challenge you. Look, if you haven't been coming out to worship in person, but you've been tuning in online and you have the resources, in other words, you live in this area, I just want to challenge you. Come out to 50% of the in-person worship services between now and Easter, okay? That comes out to seven Saturday, uh, Sundays or something like that, okay? Seven Sundays, not that hard. But let's challenge. I want to challenge you. Friends, I told you that if you'd be a part of our community, I'm going to continuously challenge you outside your comfort zones. 
And friends, I just want you to begin taking one small step to living out the Sermon on the Mount. I want to remind you of this truth though. That yes, of course, Jesus demands our obedience and allegiance. But over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples fail and fail and fail. And Jesus does not say this, get out of here, you sinner. He never says that. You know, he tells Matt, uh, Peter at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, right? He says, do you love me? And he says, yes. He says, then feed my sheep. Even though Peter denied him three times. So grace, of course, is available. It's abundant for you as you walk this journey of obeying the Sermon on the Mount. But friends, let's commit to it. Let's pursue it. Let's see progress in our life. Let's see real transformation. Let's see greater faith here in 2023. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for the sermon. God, would you wash us clean now, Lord, as we enter into this 2023 year. God, maybe in 2022, Lord, we committed just an abundance of sins, Lord. So many that... It's not even that we can't even begin to count it. We can't even begin to fathom, Lord, just how many sins we've committed, Lord. And so, Lord, we ask that you cleanse us, wash us clean, Lord. And would you help us on this day, on January 1st, 1st, 2023, Lord, to be a day, Lord, where we rededicate our lives wholly unto you, Lord. That you would be our guide, you would be our shepherd, you would be our Lord and our Savior. And God, that we'd receive these words from you and to do them with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.